All right. Uh, again, by distance, you know. Um, I want to uh, explain something. Uh, today, I'm kind of abbreviating a little bit. I had hoped that uh, today I would address a number of issues, and then we would have a discussion about the practical application of what we're doing. But I've uh, been with the first week of classes, I usually use, lose my voice once. And then with the winds, the asthma and, and hay fever has been such that I thought maybe I should cut it down to just part of this sermon and do the rest the next time. Uh, so I have expanded one of the points that uh, actually two of the points that I was going to do of the, the four points in the message. So this will be kind of a part one. We're near the conclusion of the second section of the series, The Gathering Storm. We've talked about the conditions that have changed in the culture. And I've addressed the five lies that we and our children are facing. A couple weeks ago, we considered the cost of living by the truth, which is suffering. Those who follow the Lord are not following a life of blessing, though there is blessing in it. But Paul says that if we live righteously, we're going to suffer. Um, last week, we considered the teachings of both our Lord and the Apostle Paul regarding how to resist assimilation by being wise as a serpent and harmless as a dove, and to avoid as much as possible persecution by leaving the areas when they persecute you in one city, go on to the next. I'm going to talk more about that later, those actual processes as that happens. We're certainly not in a time of persecution, but we are in a time where seductive uh, assimilation and coercive assimilation is going on, particularly for our kids. So today I want to speak directly about preparing the children to live the truth in a culture of lies. Children growing up today are entering the most secular period of America's history. And for the first time in America, there is a significant and threatening opposition to biblical Judaism and biblical Christianity. Now, notice I say biblical Judaism and biblical Christianity, because what seems to be the struggle, this new struggle, is a real hostility towards biblical truth and anyone who holds to biblical truth. Anti-Semitism and anti-Christian words and deeds are actually on the rise. And much of this is coming from uh, the, the general media and from educational sources. Now there's one more compounding factor, and that is what we uh, read about in the Live Not By Lies book that we've been going through. And I hope you'll start the iGen, because it's really important that you take a look at that. There's a soft totalitarianism that is coming in our government and in our society. And in that, there is a, uh, a removal of parental authority and parental influence as that is being usurped by government and bureaucracies that I think in some cases have well-intentioned goals as they see the world. But they are antithetic, an, antithetical quite a bit to kingdom values, and to our eternal perspective as believers. 
Now, we've spoken before that one of the reasons God gave us marriage and family was the production and raising of godly offspring, as Malachi chapter 2 says. So my plan today was to address the practical ways of preparing the children uh, for this. Uh, But I've had recently several conversations with people, not, not in the Disciple Center, but outside of the Disciple Center, who raised their kids in church and now are losing them to the faith. And I've talked to many who are grandparents who who saw their children grow up and their children are still active in the faith, but their grandchildren are not are not coming to the Lord or not living for the Lord. Now I think there are many reasons for this, and I want to be careful here because I understand what Katie was talking about. There is a struggle about to what extent does God bring us about. My family was not all that religious, and I have become a devoted disciple to the Lord. Uh, So just because you raise your children in a Christian home or because they're raised in a more non-religious home doesn't mean that that's the final influence. But, But I want us to look at one of the reasons that I think we're going to see more and more people falling away from the faith. It's, it's not only this struggle that we have that we are teaching them to believe in the Lord and say the sinner's prayer, but not discipling them. But I think the discipling has to be more than words. So I want you to turn to Psalm 34, chapter 34, and I, I'm not going to read the whole chapter. Let me say that in the first verse, the writer says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. In verse 4, this person gives their testimony. I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and he delivered me from all my fears. And then, when we get down to verse 8, he's sharing this and says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. So these first verses that if I had time I would have gone through are really about a person who knows the Lord and seeks the Lord, a person who fears the Lord. And then in verse 11, these are the verses we want to look at, uh, he says this, Come you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Who is the man who desires life and loves length of days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against evildoers to cut off the memory of them from the earth. The righteous cry and the Lord hears and delivers them out of their troubles. The Lord is near the brokenhearted. And he saves those who are crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of all of them. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the soul of his servants, and none of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. This psalmist calls to his children, and he says, I will teach you the fear of the Lord. 
And he talks about those who are seeking the best in life, not the good life as the world says it, but a life as God wants us to live. They guard what they say, and they speak the truth. They don't have evil in their mouth, and their behavior is also good and not evil. And while the danger here is what Katie talked about, performing, we just perform, we're not talking about performance. We're talking about having come to the Lord and out of gratitude for all that he's done in changing our life and in redeeming us and in giving us promises, we struggle to obey him and become slaves of righteousness, as our earlier text uh, said. And the Lord watches over those who are doing right, and he delivers them out of their afflictions. Now remember, last two weeks ago when we talked about this passage, as Paul quotes it, this being delivered out of afflictions doesn't mean the avoidance of afflictions. It's more like being drugged through them, but you get through them. So, his face is against those who do evil. And the wicked will ultimately be killed by wicked, and those who hate and persecute the righteous will be condemned. Now, I want you to be aware that this is not a formula for being blessed in life. This is not a do this, and this will be the result. In this life, we have struggles, and we have sufferings, but we have promises that exceed all the sorrows of this life. As another one of our scriptures this morning uh, said in Romans 8. And the scripture says that we will be rewarded when we endure the evil and persecution done to us for his namesake. So this person says, come children, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. How do we inculcate the fear of the Lord in our children? Well, this thing that I've been thinking about, and I wanted to address it more today, and then we'll talk more practically next time, is that you cannot give your children what you don't have. You can't teach the fear of the Lord if you don't fear the Lord. So we have to talk about what fearing the Lord is. Fearing the Lord is not being scared of him, though that's part of this. But it's taking him seriously about his purpose and about his word. If God takes his word seriously, and he does, then we also must take his word seriously and be doers of the world. So what I want you to remember is that this faith is caught more than it is taught. A lot of people are taught the faith, but they don't catch it. You catch this from somebody who knows the fear of the Lord and walks in the fear of the Lord as that fear matures into faith and a security of knowing whom we have believed and that he's able to keep that which we've committed against that day. So I want to show you some examples of that as we look at this. In Genesis 22, picking up at verse 4, we have the uh, story of uh, Abraham sacrificing Isaac. This is uh, one of my favorite uh, stories in the scriptures. And of course it has a, a, uh, a uh, shadow of the 
God giving his own son in that context. We pick it up at verse 4. It says, On the third day Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. And he said to the young men, You stay here with the donkey, and I and the lad will go over there, and we will worship and return to you. And he took the wood for the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife, and they walked on together. And Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father, and he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood. Where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on. They came to the place where God had told him, and Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood, and then he binds his son. And he laid him on the altar on top of the wood, stretches out his hand, and took the knife to slay his son. And you know what happened. At that point, the angel stops him and says, Okay, I, God says, Now I know that you fear me. There's a, there's a version of this that's done in one of the movies that, that's about Abraham, where George C. Scott plays Abraham in this thing. And it is at this point that Isaac says to God, to Abraham, can he not demand of you anything? In other words, will you even go so far as to kill me if this God tells you? And that's the answer. Now, I don't know that that was ever actually said, but I do know this, that Isaac experientially understood that his father feared God and did his word. I want you to look at another passage. It's in Deuteronomy chapter 6. You are familiar with the first part of this passage where uh, God's, we have the Shema um, and the first of the great commandments. Uh, when we get down to verse 13, God says, you shall fear only the Lord your God, and you shall worship him and swear by his name. You shall not follow other gods, any of the gods of the people around you. For the Lord your God in the midst of you is a jealous God. Otherwise, the anger of the Lord, your God, will be kindled against you, and he shall wipe you off the face of the earth. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test, as you tested him in, in Masa. You should diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God, his testimonies, his statutes, which he has commanded you. You shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may be well with you, and that you may go in and possess the land. Verse 20 is really important here. When your son asked you in times to come, saying, What do the testimonies and the statutes and the judgments which the Lord our God has commanded you? And you will say to your son, we were slaves in Egypt, and he gives the testimony. This is really important. This faith that you and I have is not a do-as-I-say, not-as-I-do faith. Our children learn to fear the Lord as they observe and experience your fear of the Lord. That you are doing this because God has commanded you, and they are being able to enter into that experience. 
This is one of the reasons why at the Disciple Center we work so hard to disciple the adults and make this an adult faith. And I love that the children walk alongside the parents when the parents are reading and that. It is this experiential framework that's very important. Now I want to give you one more passage. Exodus 13. You can see why I couldn't go on with all my other points. I really wanted to underscore this one. Uh, In Exodus 13, verse 12, he says, uh, You shall devote to the Lord the first offspring of every womb and the first offspring of every beast that you own. The males belong to the Lord. But every offspring of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. And if you do not redeem it, you shall break its neck. And every firstborn of man among the sons you shall redeem. Now he's talking here about the the um, redemption of the firstborn. We don't do that as Gentile believers, but we do the naming and the dedication of the children in that framework. So here are the commandments that God is telling the parents to do so that they will diligently teach these things to their children. The next verse says, And it shall be that when your child asks you in time to come, saying, What is this? Then you will say to him, With a powerful hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. In other words, every time your child asks you, why are we doing this religious stuff? You remind them that we have been redeemed by God, that we belong to the Lord, and they belong to the Lord too. This is critical. This instruction is, in the the idea of why, are two important aspects. That the instruction is from the Lord, and second, that the Lord has instructed us. These two things together create an experience of identity for your children. It is the Lord and us. We are the Lord's people. Now here, I want to I want to say something that again is... I'm beginning to notice that we are turning into a culture that has this kind of uh, general God. We're really becoming deist. Who is the Lord? This is critical. It's not some generic God. We worship the God who created the heavens and the earth and all that is in them. And he is the one called by Israel Hashem, the name, that name. This God and no other God is our God. We don't have this generic God where everybody sees him a little different. This God has revealed himself to Israel and through the Lord to us so that we can live in him, move in him, and have our being in him. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is a specific God that we belong to, and he is the judge of the whole earth. And he has loved us, and he knows us, the good, the bad, and the ugly of us. And he wants us to fear him and struggle to obey. And he has provided for that redemption through sending his son in the incarnation that we just celebrated. And he has given us forgiveness and hope through the death, burial, and resurrection that we will celebrate in the Passover and Holy Week period that is coming up. So this experience is with a God who is known, 
a God who is specific, a God who the world does not want. They don't mind you having God, this kind of monotheistic, deistic thing, but they don't want the God of the Bible. They don't want the God of Israel. They don't want the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The second part of this is the us. The uh, God and us. The us is the Israel of God. Israel was chosen by God to be a people for his name. And they are his people by covenant. And the intent of that culture that was created by the commandments of God was for them to be a light to the nations who Paul describes as being without God and without hope in the world. And then in Ephesians, Paul tells us that through the gospel, we are, though we're not the direct offspring of Abraham, we're children of Abraham by faith. And that brings us to be a people for his name from among the nations that identify with Israel, but not as Israel. We don't become Jews, but we come alongside Israel. In that sense, critical for our children to understand this. And therefore, because this God has chosen us and called us to be with him and redeemed us, we are not to be connected to our culture and conformed and molded into that. But we're to be transformed by the word, and we believe that word, and we do that word. So the us, the God in us, is the faithful remnant of Israel and the Christians who fear the Lord and walk in his ways. We have more and more Christians who don't fear the Lord and don't walk in his ways. I'm not sure they should be called Christians, but they call themselves. So this is about identity and who we are. And identity is learned by experience. You know, when I was growing up, I never doubted that I was a Stokes and belonged to that family. Sometimes I didn't want to be a Stokes, but I always knew I was. And that wasn't because somebody taught me that I was a Stokes. It was because my experience, all my experience, was as a Stokes. What else could I be? Our children have to be so permeated with our identity as Judeo-Christians that they can, at times, not want to be that, but they know that that's who they are. I think that's part of what the scripture says when he says we instruct a child in the way that they should go, and even when they're old, they won't depart from that. We need them to have a primordial identity. Who I am, who I am ultimately is a Judeo-Christian. Now, what is that? It's someone who fears the God of Abraham and has trusted Jesus as the Messiah, as the Christ, and the Lord of their life. That's critical, that we walk in obedience to him. Not out of performance, out of gratitude and love, and knowing that his commandments are for our good. And therefore, they belong to that God, And their identity is sealed in that. That identity has to come from an understanding that our identity and faith, it needs to come with an understanding that our identity and faith is not fully welcome in this world. That's part of what I want to talk about next time. How do we really prepare the children for that framework? There are people who are going to try to get them to change their identity 
by changing their understanding of our ways of life into their ways of life. And the pressure to change is going to come from three sources. In 1 John chapter 2, John says, don't love the world. If you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. This culture is going to try to mold us through media and through everything else, particularly education, uh, in a way that is going to be different than what God is trying to form us. Remember, we were created in the image of God. We are being reformed into the image of His Son. But the world wants us to be molded into their image. And then there's another battle, and this is the battle that's going to be very difficult. We find it in Romans 7, verses 19 to 24. And that is the battle within our own flesh. When you and I become believers, our spirit is born again. Our mind needs to be transformed because you've got the same old mind you had before. So you have to start thinking now biblical thoughts and eternal perspective and not the world's thoughts. But our bodies are still part of this creation. And in that flesh is a drive that wants to go its own way apart from God. And so Paul talks about, I end up not doing what I want to do and what I don't want to do, I end up doing. We're going to have to fight ourselves. Now, the world is going to tell our young people, whatever you feel is the best of you. And whatever you experience is the best of you, and you should go with it. And that is completely opposite of dying to self taking up your cross and walking with him. So we have to prepare them for swimming against the current. Uh, we really, you know, we use the ichthus for the, uh, the the symbol of the fish for Christians. Well, we're salmon and we're swimming upstream. And we, we need to prepare them for that. There's another thing that they need to understand. And this is, again, mocked. As we become more and more secular in America... People think in terms of secular and spiritual as compartmental if they think of it as all, uh, at all. And we have to think of the spiritual as permeating everything. There is a spiritual battle that our children must know about. There's more than just what we see. Christians and Jews have suffered for this faith, and you and I and our children may as well. We resist that. We resist the devil who's seeking whom he may devour, as Peter tells us in 1 Peter 8.11. We resist him by standing firm in the faith and not doubting, even though we're being tested by a trial. Suffering has to be part of this, and it can't be a faith crisis. I remember uh, so many people when uh, when Braden passed uh, eight years ago, um, we're so concerned about Linda and Cheryl and Brenna and I about this um, ripping out our faith. That was never a faith crisis. We know who we believe. It was a hard thing to go through, and we still struggle with it. But it doesn't take and diminish our faith because we fear the Lord and we trust the Lord and we believe what he has said. And he said these things are not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed. If that's not true, then we're fools. But I think it's true. I'm convinced that it's true. I don't just hope that it's true. I believe that it's my hope that it's true.
So our children must grow up in homes and in this congregation convinced of the truth of the word because we are convinced of that truth. I, I have many, many students at Cal Baptist who Dr. Lewis and I teach uh, at that Christian behavioral science and they see in us a faith that looks like their faith and sounds like their faith, but is not their faith because they're looking at it from a distance. It isn't really internalized in them. And I think that we have to do that, but we can't do it if it's not internalized in us. If we're not convinced, they won't be convinced. So what I'm going to talk about next time are the other two points, and those are the points of isolating when we need to our children from the influence of the world and immunizing them when we need to explain to them what they're about to see so that they trust and fear the Lord through it rather than run away from that. Uh, So that they will be able to live not by lies but by the truth. And that's what we're going to do. So I'm running out of air, so I think we'll go to the uh, Q&A now. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you, Lord, that 